that last bit is hard to, uh, to hear, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. In three weeks, in three weeks, this church will be filled as we gather to celebrate the greatest day in human history, the greatest event, the greatest holiday that we can celebrate as followers of Christ. People will gather here for Easter. People will gather here to celebrate that Christ is risen, that God, God came into this earth to save us. Miracle of miracles. God came himself and died on a cross that we might have life. And then he rose again that we might live forever with him. God has done this amazing thing and in three weeks we are going to come and celebrate that. But God in his design also included this, that when Christ had rose, when he ascended into heaven, that he has gone away from us to go and sit at the right hand of God the Father. He has ascended and he is away from us. Though his spirit remains, Christ is away. And so we wait. We wait and we watch. We watch like watchmen waits for the morning. We wait for Christ's return. In fact, our faith is driven by it. We are a people of hope. We are a people of expectation. It drives who we are. Our future hope in Christ's return drives who we are right now. It shapes our faith. Christ has ascended and He sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is away but He has not abandoned us. He has given us this amazing gift. This amazing gift. And in this parable that Jesus teaches, it's a parable of money. But the gift is so much more than that. He's given us this amazing gift of the Gospel, of His Kingdom. And to help us understand this amazing Kingdom that He has given us, He begins to speak about it, to teach about it in a parable or a story that has more meaning than just the story itself. The great thing about this parable is that it begins with grace. It begins with grace. These servants already belong to the Lord. These three people already belong to the Lord. They didn't do anything to earn it. They didn't have to earn their way in or anything. They already were servants. They already belonged to Him. The other amazing and gracious thing is that He gave each of them a talent. He gave to all three of them. He didn't weed some out and give a lot to all or all to one. He spread it among them. Now true, some had higher levels of responsibility. One was given five talents. One was given two. One was given just one. But they all received talents. The interesting thing is, what is a talent? What is a talent? See, for us, there's this kind of mix in our culture, in our language, because talent is often a God-given gift. That person has great talent. They run fast or they think quickly. They have a talent for music or they have a talent for quilting or knitting. We talk about these in terms of talent. But in Jesus' time, a talent was of weight. It was a unit of weight. And often, it was, it was precisely, it was a block, about a 75-pound block of silver. A block of silver. A talent. It was enough wealth for a man to live the rest of his life. And there this, this, this Lord gives to his servant, he gives him one of them five, five times the amount he would need to live for the rest of his life. He gives him five. Another he gives two, twice the amount that he would need, and finally the third he gives him one. Enough for him to live the rest of his life. God gives these talents, this amazing and abundant amount of wealth 
But I think Jesus is talking about more here than money. As we read through the Gospels, we know that Jesus, money isn't what he's after. He's after people. He's after people's hearts, after their soul. As I read through this passage over and over again, I think Christ is getting at the Gospel here. This amazing gift, though he used the words talents, I think he's getting after this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. This amazing gift of God's kingdom. As we were just reading it just a moment ago, it struck me again that he gave them his property. The Lord gave them his property, this kingdom that he has. He just hands it over to them. It's amazing. But here's the really interesting part, too, is that he gave it to each of them as much as they were able. He didn't give them more than they could handle. He didn't give someone who could only handle one. He didn't give them 20. He didn't give them even five. He gave them one. He knew exactly what they could handle. And the other great thing, too, is they didn't earn it. Nowhere in this parable does Jesus say that they worked really hard to earn their talents. It was given to them. It was just given to them. It was a gracious gift. But we do see that some had more responsibility. Some had great responsibility because they had five Others had responsibility, but not as much as they had one. But the thing is, they all received this gift. This amazing gift God gave to all of his servants. Excuse me, the Lord gave to all of his servants. God has given us this amazing gift. He is, Christ has ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And we wait for him to come, but he has not completely left us. He has given us this amazing gift of this good news this gospel of who he is and what he's done, that he has saved us and given us new life. The trouble is, the trouble is people take it for granted. We see so many people around us who know the basic story of Jesus, of what he's done and who he is, and yet they just, they just reject it. They take it for granted. And sometimes even we in the church, we take it for granted. See, the interesting thing is that these servants... They already belong to the Lord. When Jesus is teaching this parable, he's talking to his disciples. So we hear it as church. He's speaking in to our church. We as Christians, this is who Christ is speaking to. But we need to be careful that in our worst moments, we don't take the gospel for granted. That we don't throw it in the closet and go on living our lives the same old way. That we don't take this amazing gift and dig a hole and put it in the ground. That we don't hoard this thing all to ourselves. That we don't gather in our tiny circles and hoard this gift for ourselves. You see, the third servant did this. The third servant took this gift and put it in the ground. As you read through it in the Greek, there's this interesting parallel. The first two servants is immediately, as soon as the Lord left, they went to work with it and they grew it. But the third servant, he went out, dug a hole in the dirt and buried it. He buried it. In our worst moments, we are tempted with this or we struggle with this ourselves. This amazing light of who Christ is, this light in the world and we shove it under a basket. Because it's easier. It doesn't take as much for us. 
We don't have people asking us about it or trying to defend it. We just shove it under a basket. You see, the thing is, this servant knew that he had done something wrong. He knew that it was off. Because when the Lord comes to meet with him, he doesn't even begin with it. He begins with excuses. Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not plant seed. So I took your gift. I took this talent you gave me and I dug a hole and I buried it. But here's what you gave me. You see, he begins with excuses. He doesn't even say, Lord, here it is, and hear, hear the Lord's response. He knew. He knew that he had abused what God had given him. But the interesting thing, too, is that there's this shift of blame. Not only does he make excuses, but the excuses are that, Lord, this is your fault. I knew that you were the hard person. So because of you, because you are the one who gathers where you do not sow, I buried this. He tries to make it the Lord's fault. And then the Lord returns. And he says, You evil and you hesitant servant. What have you done? You think you know me. You say that you know me. And yet you take this amazing gift that I've given you and you do nothing with it. You know that I'm a hard man that I gather where I have not sown. That I mean to gather people who have never belonged to me. That I mean to gather everyone. I mean to bring in all the nations. You know that I want this, that I desire this. And yet you take this gospel, this good news, and you don't do anything with it. You think that you know me. You don't know me. You don't know who I am. Because if you knew me, you, knew that I, you would know that I desire to gather people. You would know that I desire for you to take this gospel and live in it, but to grow it among others. To tell other people about what Christ has done. What the Lord has done for us. That He has saved us and made us whole. Given us new life. If you knew me, you would grow this gospel. You would take this good news, this amazing gift, and you would grow it. You would share it with as many people as you could. He's calling us to grow. To grow this. Then he says to this servant, he says, if you think that you can just take it and bury it and not have it taken away, you've got another thing coming. So he says, take this talent from this man, from this servant, and give it to the one who has five. Give it to the one who has been faithful with this gift, who has grown it. For those who have much more will be given to them. For those who have grown the gospel, more will be given to them. For those who have nothing to show, who have not done anything to grow, what little God has given them will be taken and given to others. And they'll be thrown out. God is calling us to grow this gift. In our worst moments, we take it for granted. We take it for granted. And we get off track. We forget that God desires us to live in His grace, to relish the fact that He has given us this free gift and then to grow it among others, to share it with people, to encourage others into this amazing life we have in Christ. He desires that we would be like the first two servants. They get it right. They take this amazing gift and they go to work with it and they grow it. They grow the gospel. They cultivate the gospel. These first two servants, they're a great example. 
As you hear the parable, it says that the minute the Lord went out, immediately, immediately, they went to work with it and grew it. There's urgency here. These disciples, they feel it. No one has to convince them of it. They know that it's urgent. Immediately, they go out and they begin working with it to grow it. But here's the interesting thing, too. It says they worked with the talents. They didn't work for them or instead of them or despite them. They worked with them. When we go out and we try to to spread this good news, we are working with God. We go where God is already present. There is not one inch of this world that God has not claimed His. The kingdom of God is in this community. When we go out and we talk with our friends, we're not charting new ground. God is already at work. We participate in what God has already been doing. We work with the gospel. It's not something that we do. It's our part in what God is already doing. Christ desires that we would grow this gospel. You know what's interesting to me, though? As I think of this story, I'm surprised that these guys did anything at all. Because in the story, Jesus said he just gave them this gift. No rules, no guidance, just here's property. Here's, here's five times the amount of wealth you'll need to live. Here's a fortune. No rules. No legalism. I don't want, nothing, nothing to the sort of, I want 5% return annually compounded. I want you to put this into a low-yield fund. Nothing like that. Just freedom. Amazing freedom. Freedom to be as creative as God has made us. Free to, to go and serve people, to grow it. If you are a quiet person who grows the gospel by serving, freedom to do that. If you are a person who has been gifted with speaking, freedom to go and gather a crowd of hundreds or thousands and proclaim the gospel. Freedom to do both. Both are good. One is not held above the other. Freedom to speak with one person at a time and encourage them in faith. Or freedom to gather hundreds and speak the word of truth to them. Both are good. There's amazing freedom here. But we also see the heart of a servant. God doesn't say a word. And yet, out of their heart, they respond. They respond with this amazing urgency and desire to grow the gospel to grow this good gift that God has given them. They respond immediately with urgency, not because someone told them, but because they knew. Deep within them, they knew that this is urgent to go and grow it. They just knew. And then these amazing words of the Lord, He says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Man, I, I long for those words. We, as Christians, we desire to hear those words. Those are our hope. That when we are with Christ, the first thing He will say to us is, well done, good and faithful servant. We desire to hear this. Because you have been faithful with the little things, I will make, I'll put you in charge of more. And I just want to make one quick thing here. The little things... 
This enormous fortune is a little thing, and there are bigger things than this. God is talking about more than money here. He's talking about gospel and good news. And then he says this, you will enter into my joy. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into his kingdom. Celebrate with him. Live forever and ever with him in amazing joy. In happiness, in prosperity, in joy like you've never known before. Enter into this because of your faithfulness. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing parable that God has taught us. But here's another surprising thing. Each of these two servants, they receive the same reward. God is not fair. They both receive the same gracious reward. The one who received five and made it ten. Well done, good and faithful service, servant. The one who got two and made it into four. Well done, good and faithful servant. God is gracious. It's not how much they grew, it's the fact that they grew it. That they poured themselves into growing this gospel, this good news. This is grace at its finest. This is an amazing image of grace. Each of these servants were equal. Not because of how much they grew, but just the fact that they grew it, that they poured into it and grew this gospel, this good news. This is a story of grace. It's an amazing story of grace. These two servants are our example. The way that God is calling us to live. To go out and to grow this good news. To take this amazing gift that God has given us and to grow it. God is gracious. His love is gracious. But along with this love calls Jesus' command to follow me. Here is an amazing gift. Now follow me. Don't let Christ's words scare you. This story is filled with grace. We've seen it from the beginning. These servants were made servants, not because of something they did, but because of the Lord. He made them servants from the beginning. And He gave each of them this amazing gift, not because they earned it or deserved it, because He was the Lord, because He gave it to them. The story is filled with grace. But along with God's grace comes Christ's call. Follow me. Grace is calm. Grace comes just before the following. Follow Christ. You see, we are saved from sin and death. And we are saved to Jesus Christ. See, most people get the first part, that we are saved from sin and death. Everybody delights in that. Thank God I am saved. And some are tempted to go on living their life the way they always have. They realize that they are saved from, but they don't realize that they are saved to. We are saved from sin and death, and we are saved to following Christ, to following Jesus. Not saved to just go on and do our own thing, but saved to follow Jesus. See, the danger is if we only talk about grace, as good as it is, as amazing as it is, as thankful as I am for it, In the worst cases, 
people have made it into this hot tub spirituality where I take God's gift and I sit and I soak. I keep it all to myself. I don't do anything with it. I just sit and I soak. In our worst moments, we are, we are tempted to take grace for granted. We are take, tempted to take grace for granted and bury it in a hole. To sit and soak. Throughout the New Testament, we are warned not to take it for granted. To accept this amazing gift and then to follow Jesus. To follow Him. In the letter to... In the, in the, sorry, in Revelation... Jesus is speaking to a church in Laodicea. This church was, was the pinnacle of, of sit and soak spirituality. He says, You are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, neither for me nor against me, but right in the middle. I wish you were one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. As historians have studied this church, they found that it was a wealthy church, a comfortable church. People had become comfortable. And the gospel had been sort of moved in priority below their comfort. It was a church that began to sit and soak. They were lukewarm. Christ warns against this today in this parable that he teaches, but also throughout Scripture, even in Revelation. God is calling us to follow him. He's calling us urgently to grow this gospel. And it's urgent because of the time. Jesus spoke these words from the Mount of Olives. This hill that was right across the valley from the temple, looking at Jerusalem. It's the hill where prophets went to prophesy, to speak the truth about the way things were and about the way they're going to be. He said that there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nation. There will be famine and earthquakes. There will, be, there will be catastrophes. Things will begin to go wrong. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. These things must happen. But the surprising thing, too, is that people will go on living as if nothing had changed. People, he says people will be eating and drinking and being married and giving in marriage, going on about normal life. Both believers and non-believers will be doing normal tasks like plowing a field. One will be taken, one will be left. People will be doing normal things like grinding wheat into flour. One will be taken, one will be left. Life will look normal when the Christ returns. So be ready. Be ready. This is an urgent time. We are in the last days. But we have been in the last days since Christ left. Every Christian generation from the beginning until now has understood that we are in the last days. The time is urgent. Whether Christ is coming back tomorrow or in the next few years or or however long, it doesn't matter to us because we are called to live urgently now. We have always been called to live urgently, to spread this good news of who Christ is and what He has done. This is an amazing gift. It is a gracious gift. We dare not take it for granted. We've been called out of sin and death and we've been called to following Christ. We've been called to follow Him. To follow Him urgently. To follow Him out of our heart. 
God is at work in our church. Calling us to mission. Calling us even more to mission. This parable, Jesus spoke about what it will be like when he returns, but ultimately this parable is about mission. God is calling each of us out into this mission field called the Kootenays. Some of you, he's called much further than that. He is calling us as a church. I hear people in our church talking about it all the time. Momentum is growing. I hear people talking about mission opportunities, ways to share this good news with their neighbors, ways to travel to to Mexico and share this good news. Mission is growing here. We have new families who are joining this church. We have new people who have started to come. Mission is growing here. Momentum is gathering. Momentum built on years of faithfulness. Years of a church that has already been devoted to mission. That I see God is moving us in new directions. Building on what you have already done. God is calling us out into mission. Calling us to get down to business and to get out in mission. Calling us to care for people. And giving us the same freedom to be just as creative as those servants. To be as creative as God has made you. To care for people. To minister to them at a soul level. That they would know Christ and that they would live with Him. But to care for people too at a heart level. There are so many people in our community who struggle, who suffer with a broken heart. Their husband or their wife have died and they live alone. And they are heartbroken. They struggle struggle to raise their children on their own and they are heartbroken. We need to minister to people's hearts as well, to whole people. To minister to people's heads. Some people need to have evidence. They want to have an understanding of who Jesus is. We need to minister to their minds. To help people see the ways that our culture deludes us. Gets us thinking wrongly about things. And we need to minister to people at a physical level. There are people in our community who struggle to put food on their table. There are people in our community who struggle to pay the heat bill. We are called to care for people at a physical level. To care for them. To help them. To serve them. To care for the whole person. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. To care for whole people. The gospel is a whole gospel. For whole people. But this gospel is also bigger than people. It includes whole communities. As a church, we are being called to pour into our community. I am so thankful for the ways that you are already involved. Some of you volunteer at Redfish, helping children. Others of you are part of the, of the Balfour Chamber of Commerce, helping grow business in our community. Some of you are part of, of the Kootenai Lake Family Network, helping families in our area. Some of you are part of the Seniors Club in Balfour, talking with your friends, encouraging this community at all these levels and everything in between. All of these are good. God is calling us to minister to our whole community, to pour into our community, to love our community, to show that we care about them, that God cares about them, not to just speak about it, but to demonstrate it with the way that we live, the ways that we serve. God is calling us to do this. In the next few weeks, we have this amazing opportunity to pour into this place, to pour into our community. On May 28th, 
there will be a playground and a park built in our community. As a church, we have this amazing opportunity to show Christ's love, to show up in force, to demonstrate to people that this good news that we talk about is not just pie in the sky someday, but it has hands and feet, that God came down to earth, that God is active in this world, that God puts his hands in the dirt and gets dirty. He works and changes this place that we who follow him are part of this change. We have an opportunity to show them that following Jesus is not just about harps and halos. It's about being part of God's redemption, a part of God's kingdom here on earth. God is growing mission in our church, building on this firm foundation that we have had, growing us in new directions. He is continually calling us to grow this good news to enjoy it, to to live in it ourselves, but to grow it more. God is calling us to get down to business and get out in mission. He's calling us to grow this gift. Amen. As we normally do,